With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Running a business is a lot of work. Luckily, I've got a great partner. Oh, I thank you. I meant U.S. Bank. I knew that. U.S. Bank Business Essentials is a huge help to us. Totally. Their comprehensive point-of-sale system does it all. Tracks inventory, manages schedules, customizes orders. Plus all the regular banking stuff. If only it could make coffee. Nah, that's your job. From point of sale to quick loans, we have many ways to make your business boom. That's what U.S. Bank is for. U.S. Bank. We'll get there together. Equal housing lender member FDIC.
Alright, welcome back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. It is the last Sunday of October 2020. It's the 30th. Tomorrow is Halloween, one of my favorite holidays of the year. We go big over here at my house, so it'd be a lot of work the day after Halloween, taking everything down, packing it away for another year, but we love it. Right there, TT Quick, Go for the Throat. What a great EP that comes off of from 1984. Uh, I, I, it was part of Megaforce, but I think they had a, a, an offshoot label called Avalanche, and that was on the Avalanche label. I think Eric, Eric Steele was on that label, and I believe a band called Ivanhoe. Uh, but they were such a great act. You know, that EP was, until today, I played a hell out of it. It's one of my favorite. And the next album wasn't bad either. After that, it got a little shaky. But uh, they were a great band. As you know, Mark is playing with, except today. At least he wasn't for the last couple of weeks. He wasn't feeling good, but he's back out there playing with them live, and it sounds great. Hey, we got a great show for everybody tonight. Christian Havard from Zentrex is our guest. We'll be talking to Christian in about a half hour or so. Only one guest tonight. We've had like two guests, three guests on every week for the last month or so, and we didn't get a lot of music on. So tonight, we will focus on the music after we talk to Christian, and we'll get on as much as we can before then. All right, let me see what we got lined up right now. How about we do, you know, because I normally would have did our Halloween show tonight, but because I had a wedding to go to two weeks ago, and I didn't want to leave a, a week without any show at all, we, I pre-recorded a Halloween or a Halloween show, and we put it on then. But, you know, we'll have to mix in a few Halloween songs tonight, or, you know, a little creepy, scary, however you want to look at the type of songs, or songs that just kind of sound like they belong on a Halloween show. So uh, how about we do some Halloween... Oh, you know what? I actually wanted to play something later on from Halloween, so maybe we'll skip the... Now, let's do it. We'll do Victims of Fate. Here you go, Halloween. <laughs>
All right, Omen, don't fear the night. Right before that, Salem's Witch with Attack. And we kick things off with Halloween, Victim of Fate. I was going to play uh, something, uh, the, co- the Beatles cover by Halloween later on in the show for my wife, because it's our anniversary this week, but I really wanted to get this on, so there you go. I'll find something else. <laughs> I'll dig it up before the end of the show. Salem's Witch, I could have sworn I had Mark Guest from the band on my show. I don't know why I cannot find that episode anywhere, but I'm pretty sure we spoke to him. Uh, I think it was around the time Betray of Kings was reissued. Uh, so it had to be close to 10 years ago, I want to say. Because I remember him sending me songs. There was an, another record recorded right after Betray of the Kings in 86. Uh, that I don't think it was ever released, but he gave me some of the tracks from it. He also had worked on some new stuff from the band Reunited. I don't know where any of this stuff is. i got to go look it up after the show. I'm not, I'm not losing my mind. I know that we, we had Mark on here, and I had all those songs somewhere. Back then, when bands would send me a lot of stuff, you know, I left it on my computer because I wasn't very computer savvy. I didn't really know how to use it or what to do with it. I never heard of a USB drive or an external hard drive or these sites where you can upload stuff and store it. So when my computer went kaput, I wound up losing everything and having to start over again. You know, it took me a couple of times of doing that before I figured out how to use a computer the right way. Uh, you know, I come from a pen and paper age, you know, so it took me a little while to get used to everything, but I have to look that stuff up. Maybe, look, I haven't heard anything from Salem's Witch in a long time. Uh, maybe I'll look up Mark and find out what's going on or when he was on the show, and maybe we'll do it again if he wasn't, or we'll do it again if he has to be. Who knows? All right, let me see here now. I saw they were talking to Ian Hill about uh, Judas Priest being inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and he was saying that, you know, Richie and Ripper should have been a part of it. And, you know, to be honest with you, even Judas Priest technically aren't really part of it. They didn't get in the way they wanted to get in. They got in under that Musical Excellence Award. That's like, you know, getting a participation trophy when you run a race and you finish in, like, 99th place. Now, I love Judas Priest. They do deserve to be in there. And I honestly don't know why any band even cares about getting into this or not. It makes no sense to me. I know Priest, you know, those guys come from whatever where being awarded for stuff and being honored for stuff, you know, with, with trophies and, and acknowledgement, it was a big part of, of their lives. I don't think anybody from my generation really cares about award shows or anything like that. It doesn't mean anything to us. Oscars, Grammys, Emmys, none of that stuff means anything. But I get it to a band like Priest and Maiden and those other bands like that that come from that time where it's important to them. But it shouldn't mean anything to anybody. I mean, how they pick and choose things is beyond me. I, you know, I don't know who they pick to be in there. Obviously, you got to have KK, and you got to have Ian, and you got to have Glenn and, and Rob in there also. I mean, they put less things there. Granted, less played on, you know, less only was in the band for like two, maybe three years in the 70s. You know, and he played on Stan Class and Hellbent for Leather, two great Priest records. But does he really deserve to be in there for playing the drums on two Priest records? Probably not. Dave Holland played on all the classic records from the late 70s throughout the 80s and into the 90s uh, before he was out of the band. You know, he's he's being nominated also, but he passed away quite a few years back. But does Ripper really deserve to be in there? I mean, he was in the band for a handful of years. I mean, more or less Vinks was, yes, obviously. But he put out two records at a time where people really weren't paying attention to Priest or even heavy metal in general. And those records really didn't do well, except for amongst a handful of fans that were just diehards probably of Ripper more than Judas Priest. You know, then you have Scott Travis. He's been in the band for 32 years, and he was on Painkiller. But there wasn't very much done after that that really qualifies it as, you know, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame albums by Priest. You know, the last few, I think, were really great. Does it deserve to be in there? Just for his longevity, I think he does. You know, so I don't know how they pick and choose, and I don't think it really matters. But I don't think Ripper really deserves to be in there. And honestly, I don't think Les deserves to be in there either. That's just my personal opinion. All right, let's get back to the music here. We'll do one more set, then we're going to get Christian and talk to him about the brand-new Zentrix record, Seven Words. How about we do a little Invader, then some Argus, and since it is Halloween, we'll do a little Merciful Fate, 
and then uh, we'll get to that interview. Or maybe we'll do one or two more songs after that. We'll see. I wanted to get some Wasp on today because I was watching some clips of uh, Wasp on one of the first shows of their tour. It didn't look or sound too bad to me, but, you know, I got a feeling there was a little hope going on there for Blackie. But we'll talk about that later. Let's do uh, Land of the North from Invader. Thank you. 
by Merciful Fate with Evil, the band will be in New York in about two weeks. I'm thinking about going to the show. I just, every, you know, every show is in Brooklyn. I should I was born and raised in Brooklyn. That's, that's where I lived. But this is only, you know, to me, Brooklyn consisted of, you know, Bensonhurst. That's where I came from. This is on the other side of Brooklyn, you know, and uh, not that it's so far away. It's like a 15-minute car ride from one end to the other, you know, at least without traffic if you're taking the streets. But I just think about going down there looking for parking. As I get older, I get more cranky, more grumpy. There are less things I want to do. <laughs> I just want to sit on the couch a lot of times. But listen, if you do want to get out tonight, Raven is playing at Dingbatch. They're doing the whole Wiped Out record and a few other songs. Uh, uh, Riot City is on the bill. It's that make-believe, mashed-up, you know, band of Riot. I think it's got one guy who's somewhere in Riot, somewhere semi-towards the beginning. I don't even know who it is anymore, but they're doing all classic Riot songs. But Whiplash also on the bill, as well as Midnight Hillian, and I think there's one other band. I didn't know those three were playing, or I would have tried to have gotten there tonight, because I haven't seen Whiplash in a very long time. It's only Tony Potaro in the band these days, but I still would like to have seen them perform, and I had no idea they were even on the bill. I haven't really checked out Dingbat's website in a very long time. I used to go there all the time with Tommy. It's been many, many, many years since then, uh, but uh, it's a great show, so if you're in the area, head out there tonight and go check it out. Alright, and what we do? We did August right before that, down the motorway in Invader, Land of the North. I'm still looking to find Salem's Witch. <laughs> I could have sworn those guys were on the show. All right, I was watching some clips, and I, I saw some people complaining, which we all do all the time. It's just the world we live in today, uh, about they were disappointed with the new Wasp uh, concert. You know, Wasp is on tour. They're supposed to be doing a classic set. And I'm looking at the set list. Like, these songs seem pretty classic to me. I mean, you know, it was a lot of stuff off the first record and the second record. Uh, then when I went to catch some of the video clips, they, like, kind of combined, like, six or seven of those classic tunes into one medley in the beginning. So I get people being a little disappointed that it would have been better to hear each song one after the other, you know, spread out throughout the show, not combined to like a seven or eight minute medley, you know. Uh, they did do uh, Animal, Fuck Like a Beast, you know. Now that they do that, but they put up a whole like, you know, video montage of the PMRC hearings and, you know, the words to the songs and stuff like that. So I guess Blackie got over it, you know, I guess his Christian beliefs kind of lost out that people wanted to hear it. Even though he doesn't sing the chorus live, it's done by the audience. Uh, but I have to tell you, I was watching the video clips, and they were pretty good quality video clips. Uh, I think it was on Blabbermouth, probably. Um, I'm watching the video clips, and, you know, Black, first of all, he's still using that big mic stand, like, that he rides on. It completely obstructs him from the view of everybody. Unless you're standing above, overhead, looking down, you can't see Blackie's face or his body. Maybe that's why he's still using it, because he got a little chunky, and he wants to maybe conceal himself. I don't know. Or maybe because I think he's lip-syncing. If he's not lip-syncing, he's definitely using uh, some sort of backing tracks. Because when you listen to it, his voice just sounds like it did in the early 80s. And I've seen you know, Wasp Live quite a few times, especially in the early days. And Blackie didn't sound like the, the record version of Blackie, even back then live. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's like 30 years later, 40 years later, I think he's either singing the backing tracks or he's completely lip-syncing. Because when you hear the rest of the band come in on the choruses, they are live. You can tell the difference between the way they sound and the way he sounds. So maybe that's why he's using that big uh, mic stand still to, to conceal his face. I have no idea. Uh, but you check out the clips and you let me know. I could be wrong, but it sounds like there's definitely backing tracks going on or he's lip syncing, one or the other. I don't know. But let's do Wasp. We'll do one more tune. We'll get some eccentrics on. We'll talk to Christian. And then we'll wrap up the show right after that. So here you go. Wasp, Tormenta.
Strikes Twice. Heaven and Hell re-released that record quite a few years back, and we've had Terry on the show. Uh, I believe Heaven and Hell is running a Halloween special. I don't know if it's still on. Go to the website and check it out. It was 10 CDs for $10. I don't think it's the jewel cases or the package, and it's just a CD inside of a plastic sleeve, but pretty much the whole catalog is available. So if you're not interested in the full package and just a CD with the music, go there. But I also think he has a lot of vinyl and a lot of CDs on sale for $1.99. I believe the sale ends either tonight at midnight or tomorrow. So go to Heaven and Hell's website or the Bandcamp page and check it out. See if you grab yourself some good bargains. They have a lot of amazing releases. All right, let's get this entrance right now. We're going to talk to Christian. How about we play some music of it? Then we'll go right into the interview right after that. So we'll save the new record for next. Let's do something to go for past records. So bear with me here while I get something up. But here you go, some Zentrix. <laughs>
your carnage of daily dread Without your trespass on the words you've not heard said Take your Oh,
how are you? Hey, Mike. How you doing today? Are we doing, are we doing video or no video? Uh, no video. It's for the radio. All audio. Fine. No worries. I'm ugly anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> over here. Hey, listen, I have to tell you, man, what an amazing job on Seven Words. I mean, when Barry the Paint came out a few years ago and it kind of showed where the band was at after 20-something years, I thought it might have been a fluke, but you guys not only repeated that, but you improved it. Thank you very much. Oh, Fantastic nice job. Yeah, you deserve the credit, man. I mean, so many bands get back together and they either try to recreate what they did in the past or they move on. You got a little bit of both going on, and and you're really making it work. And with you know with the new lineup, I mean, it's been two records now with this new lineup, and I think it really proved itself to be you know a good one. Yeah, yeah, we're we're, we're really pleased with how it turned out with um, replacing Chris and getting Jay involved. Um, you know, and he's had he's had more input on this record a lot more. So uh, you know, it's kind of naturally come together really without us having to sort of force things, which is really nice. You know. Was Barry the Pain a little bit more challenging, being that he was the new singer in the band at the time? Because when you think, for most of the fans, anytime you replace the lead singer or the voice that kind of defines the band, it's difficult. But there was over two decades in between the last record and this one, so a lot of people kind of like, you know, said, all right, let's give it a shot. And you had a lot of new fans, too, who never heard the band at all. Yeah, I, I mean, um, Barry the Pain was obviously we, we, before um, Chris packed him, we, we, we did shows with him for about three, four years, and we actually wrote and recorded Bury the Pain with Chris, so there was a finished version um, with, with with him on it, and um, we, we uh, when, when he decided that he wasn't, you know, we, he wasn't, didn't want to do the band anymore, he just didn't want to do music anymore, um, we decided, well, there's no point putting this record out, because it's pointless, we can't do anything with it, we don't want to just put it out and not go and play any music, you know, not go and play gigs. Yeah. So we, 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 we had spent two years trying to find somebody to replace him, you know. Um, so when Jay came in to do Bury the Pain, it was already done. He pretty much just sang the, the lyrics and he changed a few things just because that's the way he is. But um, he pretty much just did that record. So when it came time to do this one, um, he said, you know, um, well, he didn't say anything. He just he just said, oh, "I've got I've got lyrics for a new song." It was like, "Okay, you want to write the lyrics? That's great, because that's one less thing that I have to do." <laughs> <laughs> and also, I, I think it's better if um, you know if your singer um, writes the words, then you know they, they know what they mean when they're, they're they're singing them, so they're performing them. You know what I mean? So there's more link with the the, the lyrics. So. I was more than happy to sort of like just yep you do that that's fine that's great with me. Sure. Um, so, so subsequently, I'm I'm having to ask him what a lot of the meanings are between <laughs> <laughs> about a lot of these songs because I'm getting asked the questions about them. Oh god, but you know it's true because you know with several words he is a lot more invested in it now because he's there from the beginning. When when you look back on you know bury the pain, I mean. Was there a major difference between the two recorded versions of it? Because I'm sure he just came in and re redid the lyrics, like, you know, uh, the vocals, I mean. But do you hear a big difference between the way it was with Chris and then the way it was with Jay, or is it still the same music to you, just with a different voice singing it? Um, a mixture, really. There's a lot. Some some of the songs are, are pretty much as as was, um, and a couple of them were pretty... Uh, Jay totally changed word, the patterns of everything, and, you know, some of the lyrics... So, yeah, it varied, really. Um, I think... Um...
the uh, I can't. It's, it's getting bad now. I'm, I'm like I can't remember my own song titles. <laughs> um, <laughs> what's the song called? I'm gonna have to look. Just give me a second. Hang on. Um, it's bad when you have to re- you have to go to your phone to remember what your song titles are called. <laughs> um, you have to Google it. Yeah, I'm, 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 yeah, I'm just looking now. Hang on. It's, no, I don't want to play it. Hang on. Uh, what's it called? World of Mouth. That was it. I couldn't okay. remember that song called. World of Mouth was completely different with Chris. Um, so when uh, when Jay came, he, he totally changed all of that around. Um, and that was kind of the start, really, of, you know, all right, you want to put your own sort of stamp on things, which is great, really, because he, he, he does, because Jay used to be a fan of the band. So when he when he joined, he was like, well, I know what I think people want to hear from a new entry singer, you know. Um, so he kind of sort of slotted in that way. And you know he, he can he can sing the old stuff, and it pretty much sounds like Chris. You know he can do he can do it. I think I think sometimes when we play some um, European countries, they don't they don't even notice. They just think like Chris Astley grown his hair. You know, <laughs> um, so it's it, you know it, it's great like that. Um, and and the, the, one of the most important things for us is that we all actually get on as friends. You know. Sure. Um, like it literally just now he's just he's just whatsapping me like stupid jokes you know it's what we do all the time we're like we really enjoy you know playing together and i think i think that comes across you know what i mean we, there's nothing forced about this band we all love the music and we're all like playing and being with one another you know that is important i mean you know you and dennis have been there since the beginning it's been yeah. a pretty consistent you know lineup even though the band broke up and got back together two or three times i guess over the last yeah. you know 15 years it was with a lot of the classic lineup and now you have this lineup and it, it is still you and dennis which is very important i think chris fits in perfectly with the band and like i said replacing the lead singer is not easy but because i think there was such a gap and so many new fans have come into our music from the 80s that you know, yeah. to them it's like they don't. Nobody cares. It's just like nobody cares who's in the band anymore. It's kind of sad to say <laughs> that, but they just want to hear the songs. It's not even about the members anymore, which is kind of sad in a way because those are the guys that create the music. But that's where we're at, I think, today. Yeah, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying. It's, um, it, it is. It is for us though. It is all about the songs, and it's great to you know to get the chance to go out there and play these tunes again. You know, even even with you know. Like fifty percent of the original lineup is still, you know, uh, me and Dennis are still out there. We're too stupid to do anything else. <laughs> well, I'm, gl- I'm glad you're smart enough to keep doing this. <laughs> you know, Chris, I remember, you know, in the '80s, I was a big tape trader. We used to trade the demos and the bootlegs and all that. And I had a ton of pen pals from the United Kingdom where it took like eight weeks to mail a letter and get it back. You know, yeah. <laughs> with a response. And I remember trading somebody for the Sweet Vengeance demo. Wow, uh, the hunger really? for tape, and, and I still have my copy of it in my collection today. And that's when I became a fan of what you guys were doing. And then it turned into Zentrix, and it went on from there. And when you go back to those, people don't realize. People's like, you know, well, you know, they came too late to the game. Maybe things would have changed. Yeah. It was '89, but really, when you think about it, it was '84, maybe '85 that it kind of got going under that Sweet Vengeance name. Um, yeah, uh, maybe, yeah. I'm trying to think because because I met Chris when uh, I was still at high school um so i was 15 um so yeah that'd be 85 86 and then um i think it was actually for my my 
It would be 18th. Yeah, I think it was a, my 18th birthday present was my dad paid for that demo that you've got. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, it was that, that was how it kind of went. You know, you, you, it, it, he just said to me, what do you want? I was like, well, the studio's got an offer that, you know, you can go in for a weekend for like, I think it was like a hundred pounds, you know, and it was like, he's like, okay, you can have that for your, for your birthday, you know? <laughs> so we have yeah. him to thank for that. <laughs> yeah. That's great. You know, I don't know if the story's true or not, but I heard that, you know, when Shattered Existence came out, that Road, I think it was Roadrunner came on at the time, or Road Race, yeah. one of, the same label, basically, but yeah. that they actually were looking for you. They did, yeah. Um, we sent the that demo to a magazine called Metal Forces, yeah, um, which is just to a demo um, review section. And I don't think when we sent it to everyone, we you know we found like list mailing lists, and I don't think I think we missed off Roadrunner or Road Racer. It was Road it was Roadrunner. I think Road Racer was what it came out as because of the, there was some conflict with the name of the uh, with Warner Brothers. I think yeah, something like that's what they told us anyway. You know with the the Wiley KOT Roadrunner. Yep. Anyway, uh, that side. Yeah, we didn't actually send them a tape, and Mark Palmer got in contact with us. He somehow, I think it was in in the, in the magazine, there was a, a phone or an address, and uh, yeah, he got in touch and said, why haven't you sent me a demo? I was like, oh, right, okay. So we sent him one, and um, he came down to see us and pretty much signed us straight away. Um, our manager at the time told him we had a gig, which we didn't, <laughs> and um, took him basically made, made sure he'd missed his last train back to London and then took him up to uh, like just a room that was above a pub like a function room and we, we just played for him so we just played like you know half an hour of what of our stuff straight to him no one else and uh, yeah he signed us the next day I think we got an offer for that so that was uh, yeah that was that that back then that's a great story and you know we when I remember Shot Existence came out I was just blown away by the brutality of that record I mean when you look back on that even like for Whose Advantage which came out like a year or so later I mean how do you look at those records today compared to back then because when you're living in the moment and you're young you might not realize what you put out or what you had but 30 years later you've seen the impact that these records have had on the scene itself I mean how do you feel about them you know three decades later it's it's, it's really nice I mean basically we we at the time when, when when you do it, you're just in the whirlwind of making this stuff, and you know you, you almost don't think about it. it's just what it's just turning it out. And, and looking back now, I, I can't believe how how we turned around everything so quickly. You know, I mean the distance between Shattered Distance and Fruits Advantage is a year. Now that's nothing. You know, in the in this day and age, but who puts out an album every year? They don't, do they? You know. And I can't believe we managed it. It just felt like we did a lot of gigs and straight back in the studio. I remember, I remember at the time it was like we're gonna have to really start writing some stuff because we haven't got anything, you know. Um, but after after we we packed it in in the nineties, we just thought that's it now. Nobody's gonna ever sort of look at us again, you know. And then um, the internet sprouts up and. People start talking about, you know, Shattered Existence, this is classic legendary album. And we're like, really? You think so? And it was like, oh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's like you can't get hold of it and people are buying it on eBay for stupid amounts. And we're like, oh, I wish I'd have kept a box of those things. You know? <laughs> um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's really nice and it's really, it's really cool that, you know, 
people we, we can go out there and we can play those songs to people now you know and uh and they want to hear it still it's great it's true i think you know by the mid 80s most people were so infatuated with the new wave of british heavy metal and that sound that was created by all those bands that they kind of thought and expected every band that came out of england at the time was going to sound like that or like just that kind of music and you guys came out and you were on a whole nother level which and it really wasn't a lot of that going on where you were coming from at the time yeah, there was like a little sort of UK thrash scene that was, um, but it never really, we never really got the, um, the, the acclaim that the American scene did. I mean, we were probably a little bit, some of, some of the, you know, the, the UK a lot were before us, Onslaught and Acid Rain. Um, you know, by the time we managed to get sort of our records out, it was perhaps a little later in, in the whole thrash thing. Um, but yeah, we, it, we we were always like, well, how come how come like you know the American bands can come over to the UK, and we never get to go to America, you know? We were always saying that to Roadrunner. When can we get to play out there, you know, like go and compete with those guys? Um, but yeah, the, you know, it, it, there was a little scene out here, and it, it was it had its it had its moments, it had its time that was uh, it was pretty cool, you know. Yeah. You know, the first two records, like I said, being a year or so apart, they just sound like companion pieces to each other. Were all of those songs written at the, around the same time or in the same writing sessions, or was the second record written completely separately, like after the first record was done? Yep, pretty, that straight after it. We had, so, like, um, I think, I think it, was, it was written really quickly as well, the second record. So I, I, I would, Im, I would thinking back now, I think we probably wrote it in about three months. Um, because we finished whatever gigs we were doing for um, the Shattered Existence. We went out with um, Andy Sneak's band, Sabbath, and that's when we met Andy. Um, we were playing with his band, and we did a UK tour. We went to Ireland, and then um, we didn't actually get to play anywhere else apart from the UK on the Shattered Existence album. Um, and then it was we, we went in and did the Ghostbuster thing, but that was because... Um, at the time, we had a uh, Radio One rock show, which was you know a, a, like national Radio One show on a Friday. It was like legendary with Tommy Vance, and they yeah. brought you into the Maida Vale Studios in London, and um, you know which is like this amazing sort of massive studios with all these orchestra sort of recording areas, and I was you know we were like, whoa, look at this! And the, the control room was like Star Trek, you know, it was like massive and. And um, we we had a day there to record, but we hadn't got any. We'd just done Shadow Resistance, but we haven't we haven't got any songs. We haven't got any new songs, so we had that one. That's why we did that one and a couple of really old ones that we they put on the B side, and then you know Roadrunner wanted to release it. And then straight after that, it was like right, you, you know, they booked in um, John Connie was coming back in in um, in summer. And, you know, it was like, right, you're going straight back in the studio. You better get right. And, you know, so, okay, okay. So they had us on the treadmill at the time, which was, was cool, you know, for us. And it gave us, like, deadlines. And, um, you know, I think probably we worked better under pressure like that at that time anyway. Um, probably the worst sounding records are the ones where we spent too much time on things. Yeah, a, a lot of people say that. A lot of bands say that. And one of the things I always say is, like, you know, you know, a band will put out a second record, and that's kind of like a make-or-break record for most bands because either they're going to repeat the success of the first record if it brought attention to the band, or they're going to completely bomb out because, like, they couldn't repeat it. I tell bands, you know, what changed so much, like, in those 
that one year or two years between the records. Like, well, you know, we had years of, you know, writing and practicing and rehearsing before we got a label to sign us and we had that material. Now the second record comes out, we have nothing because we're out yeah. playing live and supporting it. Now we got to go, now we're writing in the studio as we're recording and it's much harder to come up with stuff and it kind of breaks up a lot of bands and they fall apart. But you guys didn't have that. You know, you, like I said, you work better on that kind of pressure. But I mean, was it something that would have been sustainable album after album to do it that way? I, uh, I w- wouldn't have thought so, no. <laughs> um, it, we, so so we, we, for, that, for that second record, it, it, it was like, like I say, it was, there was probably still a lot of underlying themes and things going on in all our brains that we hadn't used up on the first one. So they would have come out in one form or another on that second one. But we didn't have anything actually written. That was the thing. Um, but when it came time to do the third one, um, it, it was well. Well, we did like a, a little. We had a little stopgap doing the live EP thing with a couple of new songs, and those were sort of experimental things for us. Which then we went on to Kim. But we 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 kind of always. It was a it was a weird time because metal was changing then anyway. So you know, in the nineties. So um, that's when we like I say we spent too much time overthinking what we should and shouldn't be doing. And um, you know, I, I, I personally, I, I think that you know it was the wrong way to go. We we should have stuck true to our roots and you know um, stuck to it, which was what I wanted to do when um, we got back together again. I was like, I always said, you know, let's let's write. Bury the pain should be the the, the album that we wrote. We should have written, sorry, after Fruit's Advantage, you know. Kin was, I thought Kin was a good record. I understand what you're saying. It was a different sounding record. 92, you know, Metallica's about to, you know, become superstars with the Black Album, and they kind of left a lot of the thresh behind with that album also, and a lot of bands were doing that. It was a change in time. I mean, grunge was on the rise. Hair metal was pretty much a dead thing at that point in time. The thrash bands here in the U.S., like Testament and Overkill, and, and they would still continue what they were doing, but with a little different sound and vibe because they were also trying to fit in with that new metal grunching that was going on. But Kent, to me, was like a pure power metal record in, in, in a way, or a progressive metal record, I should say. And I thought there were some great songs on that record. I mean, did you ever think about going back and maybe reworking some of them into a different sound? I mean, you know, The Order of Chaos, I, I love that. No More Time. Right. Um. Yeah. I. I. I don't hate. I do like the songs on Kin. I. I think. I think. I think production on it was not. Was not great. You know. It's one of those um, albums that we were like, oh, this sounds amazing. This sounds amazing. And then, like, when you take it home and play it on your stereo, you go, hey, this doesn't sound the same as it did in the studio. What's going on here? Um. And then it's too late because they've already pressed it up. Um. But. It, yeah, it's it was like you said, like I said, you, it was a it was a funny time. We were the, the the whole thrash thing. People, it was becoming like a dirty word, thrash metal, you know. And um, we we were trying to sort of survive and reinvent ourselves a little bit. Um, we were, you know, we, some of the other influences were coming out, like you say, the sort of the kind of the more tiny bit more progressive. The sort of like we were maybe looking at bands like Queensryche and going, well, maybe we can you know, be a bit Queensryche on this bit or whatever, you know. Um, and and it, it's it, it it's it's just not my favorite. It's not one of my favorite records that we did. I I prefer the first two, you know, the older stuff. But um, I totally get that, that people still like. I mean, we, we always get always get asked, Are you not going to play something off Kin? You're not going to play something off Kin? And we we have done, um, but not it's not in our regular set, you know. Yeah. 
when you decide that you want to go in that type of direction, is it hard to get all four guys in the band on board to go the same way? Or was there resistance from certain members? I obviously I can see it from you that you felt a little differently about it at the time. Yeah, well, it's it, it, it's always hard to get sort of four people, you know, to agree on one specific thing. You know, sometimes you you've got to you've got to, you know, ironically you do have to compromise sometimes, and uh, it's it's. You know, you think, well, let's go with it and see where it, it leads us. Um, particularly, if, you know, if the, what what we were originally doing, so it was like, let's stay as a thrash band. It was like, well, nobody's doing that because nobody wants to see that or hear that anymore, which is weird. You know, it was weird. It's weird that Latin, it, it's come around again, and now people do want to see it. You know, um, and, and it's it's kind of nice. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan of thrash metal music and. It's great that, that you know these bands are uh, the the older bands. You know, it's, it's it's amazing to see like Testament and Exodus these days. They're they're still killing it. You know what I mean? I love it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there was one more record to go, and and the, and there was a, a a pretty much a new lineup for the band at that time. I mean, I think Chris was out at that time when Scouts came mm-hmm. out, and uh, you had another guitar player in the band. I actually think you were five piece <clears> at that time. Yeah, um, I mean that that record, the Scourge album, pr- probably. Originally, we didn't want to. We, we wanted to finish Centrix and start as a new band, and um, we, we 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 were demoing the the uh, the demo we had for that for that album to different labels, and uh, Heavy Metal Records said, "Yeah, you know what? We'll we'll take it up, but we want it to be a Centrix album." And we were like, oh, "Okay," <laughs> and and because it, it it doesn't really fit with the other stuff. Again, I quite, I like some of the stuff on it, you know. Um, but it, it was it was a t- and again it was just a time that we, that we we had two more influences coming on board and you know you, you can hear that the the, the the you kind of let them have their say and you know um, so it's it it's it's the it's that's probably the the most different Kins like old Zentrix trying to reinvent itself and Scourge isn't really a Zentrix album I don't think we'll ever play anything off Scourge live yeah. Well, like I said, a lot of people didn't realize that that wasn't supposed to be a Zentrix record at the time. And no. I mean, Tony Iommi could attest to that. He did a lot of records in the 90s where he wanted to just be Tony Iommi. And they said, yeah. no, no, you got to put the Black Sabbath label on there because <laughs> that's what sells. And if they did it to Tony Iommi, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. So, so that has to be a tough sell because you're like, wait a minute, but we have this whole you know new band, this new concept, this new thing, and we got to put the old name on it. I mean, that must have been a little disheartening at the time. And was that like... We kind of like ended it where you said, All right, "Let's not bother with this anymore." Yeah, pretty much. And um, we went out, and you know, we we were playing gigs to to practically no one, small gigs, and just it just nobody was interested in it anymore. So it was like, let's you know, let's we're we're flogging this dead horse at that time. Um, so it was like let's let's lay it to rest. So it it was amazing for us that years later, like I said, that the you know these. Um, people were talking about you know these legendary first two thrash metal albums and it was like really you, you think if we we got back together that people would come and watch us and you know that was the case it was, you know it was quite like a, a shock to our system really yeah i mean i know it was around 2005 when you put it back together and you know i was happy to hear that but you know a few years later i remember getting the hellfighter record damnation's wings and oh. i thought that was so great i mean What's the status of that band now? Is it, is it over and done with, or is it something that you might go back to one day? Or, um, well, never say never. But I mean, no, that was because um, Simon, who, who sang on the Scourge record, we we always stay friends, and um, you know, 
it was like him and uh, uh, Pete, um, who's another guitar player. We were like, you know, um, they were like, oh, we want to get like a band going again. We want to get a band going again. And we just went through the, the, we tried a few different drummers and then eventually went back to Dennis. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, that's actually help out is where we met uh, Chris Shires, actually, because he ended up playing with the band at the end. He didn't record the record, but he ended up playing in the band. Um, so he was like the, um, the the natural choice for us when we needed a, a replacement bass player. So, you know, it had its thing. But yeah, Hellfire Records, it was, it's a solid record. And, um, you know, obviously we, we managed to get Andy on board to help us out with that one. And uh, so it sounds pretty good. Um, you know, Simon, you know, does his, uh, does his thing on it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a... It's it's definitely not a Zentrist record though for anyone that's thinking it will be. Oh no, yeah, it's it's a completely <laughs> different sound than album. That's why I thought it was so great and and it came out maybe five maybe five or six years after Zentrist reunited back in two thousand and five. And was that meant to last back then during that first reunion, or was it something that you were just looking to do as a one-off type thing? Well, it was actually it was Chris Astley that that he rang me up um, after we'd done the the Hellfire thing and the Hellfire thing had kind of run its course. So um, he, he, he just rang me up and said, oh, somebody told me that if we get back together, you know, we can play some festivals and stuff in Europe and we can do this. And I was like, well, yeah. I said, like, have you spoke to anyone else? And he's like, no, not yet. I'll speak to you and then Dennis and Mac and see if we, you know, we can get the, uh, get the band back together and do a couple of gigs. And originally it was just like, I think he just wanted to do it for like a, maybe a year. Um, maybe just do some shows and then I kind of probably pushed it further and was like well you know let's if we're going to do that then let's, let's start writing new music because I get I get my itchy fingers when it's like that and I'm yeah. like we, we can't just be playing the old stuff we've got to be you know we can't just be a tribute band to ourselves you know we've, we've got to be like writing new stuff so that's when we did the Bury the Pain record and then you know he, uh, he, I think he just pulled the plug on, just like, no, no, I've, I've done it for longer than I thought I wanted to. So, but that's what he's like, you know. He's a, he's a digital, digital one or a zero. He's either doing it or he's not. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, there were so many bands that have reunited over the years, and they don't want nothing to do with new music. They just want to go out there and do their classics or their hits or what people know them for. They don't want to create anymore. And some feel like you know, there's no audience. I mean. You know, uh, Paul Stanley for Kiss, they asked him about a new record. He's like, why? He goes, people just want to hear our, our old songs, our classics, you know? And, you know, yeah, granted, I want to hear a lot of the old stuff too, but I also want to hear new music when it's written the right way. And you guys have done that. You've written new music that is belongs right with all your classics, in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's good to hear. It's nice to hear that, that you know, um, people are hopefully going to like it. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, even if people didn't like it we wouldn't change we you know that's we, we we write the music we make and if people like it it's a bonus really so um that's the way it is but um yeah it's it's it i think it, for us it, it was we ha i have to write new music i'm always like you know i'm always doing it i'm always like sort of getting these riffs and recording them and just you know trying to make it you know i'm, I'm already thinking about this one you know <laughs> um but that's just the way I am, and I, I but but then again, live the majority of the set is the old stuff, you know. So I understand. 
Well, you have to introduce I, I the new stuff slowly, like I guess, you know, because a lot of people just don't have the, the capability of taking in very many new things anymore, it seems. Well, that's it. I, I don't like when, you know, if I go and watch, like, um, Exodus of Testament, I want to see them play. I don't want to see them play, like, eight songs from the new record, you know what I mean? One or two, it's fine, and then like, let's play your old stuff, let's say the classics, like, say... Um, you know, um, look, particularly someone like Iron Maiden, you you want to you want to hear those. You don't want to go and see Maiden and see them to do the new, all the new album. You want to hear like you know, all the all the classics, don't you? Of course, but you know, as an artist, you know, because you're you're still writing, you're still creating music. You know, you have. To, I guess you kind of have to. It's got to be a balance where you say, you know, I know the fans want to hear these songs off of these records, but you know, we also have to play the new songs too. Otherwise, how are we going to get them into it? And so there is like a fine line you have to walk of giving a little bit of each. And I think you know, if you throw a few in here and there, mix them in, every toy you can start adding more and more because people will be more familiar with it. But listen, you know, we went to shows back in the '80s and we saw bands for the first time live. They played one or two new songs. We went crazy for it because we knew yeah. it was coming on the next record. And I think today because. The fans don't have that same experience that we did with, you know, buying a record, going to the show when they went out on tour. I think maybe that's why it's a little harder today. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, we'll 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 try and um, incorporate new stuff into our set, but you know, because um, there's there's a few songs that um, we haven't really played live all together yet, because um, Jay lives about four hours away. From us, so we did a, we did a lot of the um, demoing and recording sort of remotely. So the the three of us, the sort of me, Dennis, and Chris Shires, we all get together on a regular basis. Um, but he he sort of comes up and rehearses a bit a lot more sporadic. So there's a few things that you know he hasn't actually uh, he hasn't actually played on. He just uh, he just sang on it. So uh, there's, a, there's some some work to be done there. What are the chances of you reworking Blackmail, Hunger for Death, Nobody's <laughs> Perfect, or Grand as a Frog into the set, or making them kind of new? Um, I think that's pretty slim. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear Grand as a Frog. If you ever make it to, to, to the U.S. or to, to New York, you got to just play even a, a little bit of that for me. Right. You're on. Definitely. If we make it there, um, I'll that definitely That would be fantastic. Hey, Chris, I'm not going to keep you. I know you got these things lined up all morning, all, all afternoon where you are. But uh, so I'll give you a little break before you do the next one. But I, I can't, I'm hoping that you guys can make it. I know the COVID's kind of had everybody down for the last couple of years, and hopefully 2023 you guys can wind up on some tour here in the U.S. Man, it'd be amazing to see you guys live. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to. I mean, even even if it's just like a one of these like you know one one or two day festival things, that'd be great to come over and you know do one of those. Um, I know Onslaught have managed to. They've managed to come over and do a couple of the um, Death Fests or whatever they were, the LA one or something, and I think they did a, another one as well. So you never know. We might get on something like that. That would be great. Yeah, the Onslaught was here this summer. Nice could even play because he had like a broken arm. <laughs> He's still up there. Yeah. So it would be amazing if we could make that happen. But uh, November 11th, Listenable Records. You know, Seven Words comes out. I definitely think one of your finest albums to date, and I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you. It really shines this record. And I'm going to play a couple of songs on it before we wrap things up here today. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you, Christian. Take care and have a great afternoon, my friend. And you. Thanks a lot, Bye-bye. Mike.
right, we were talking about the pre-Zentrix band Sweet Vengeance. That was a song off the demo called Blackmail. And right before that, we had some brand new Zentrix for everybody. That, that album sounds really good. Behind the Walls of Treachery. All right, then we kick things off with Everybody Loves You When You're Dead. Sounds very familiar, that song, huh? All right. Well, we got about 20 minutes left in the show. Hey, next week, my good friend Steve Gaines. Everybody knows him from his days at Abattoir. But he's got Anger's Art going for the last 20 years now. They have a brand new record coming out, so we're going to play some songs off of that. Hopefully, I'll find out this week if Steve has anything ready for us to play. If not, we'll get on plenty of music throughout his entire career, which is pretty extensive. Also, who do we have? Next? Oh, we got Jeff Allen next week from Witch Slayer. Looking forward to that. Big fan of Witch Slayer, and they got that new release out, which is technically an old new release, I guess. But we'll have Jeff Allen on next week, too. And then we got a great bunch of guests for the rest of the month. I'll put it up on the website tonight. So you can see who's coming up over the next couple of weeks. I think maybe December will take it easy. Maybe we'll have one or two guests on, but we'll just focus on music. Because things start to quiet down in the business during the month of December. There's not a lot of bands promoting anything. I'll see if I get maybe some old friends on just to kill some time. But we'll probably just focus on the music that came out in 2022 for the month of December. Alright, well a little while ago, Iman was showing me all these great demo tapes that somebody's collecting. Where they find them from Iman is beyond me. I mean, they look like they are the originals. Some pretty classic stuff over there. So, uh, one of the bands was Eiffel Power. They were banned out of Canada. I believe they were out of Toronto back in the day. So, let's get on a song off their demo. It's called I'll Be There.
I think Louis, the original drummer of Carnival, was a part of it with the guitar player who played on the second Carnival record. He wasn't the original guitar player because Keith passed away many, many years ago. Uh, and I was even laughing at that because it was just another one of these ridiculous cash grabs that you know these bands do to get out there and play. But Louis wasn't a part of it very long, and I think Chuck was out of it too after a little bit of time. Now it's going on with nobody has any association with Carnival in any way, shape, or form. And these band and they keep getting shows, which is a funny thing. And what I'm laughing at is that 
you know, I got a I got a message from somebody saying, you know, you believe what these guys are doing? He was like, you know, Reagan on just like I do. He's like, I can't believe it, and blah, blah, blah. And then he wound up joining that part of the band anyway, which I don't get, you know. So they're out there playing all these shows. They're on festivals, and it's a kind of a cover band playing on festivals and shows. I don't get it. Who's booking this fucking band? Who's booking any of these bands? <laughs> My mind is baffled by this. It really, truly is. I, I just don't know what to say or think about it anymore. All right, let's get off of that right now because we're going to have time for one more song. Uh, I saw that John Five is replacing Mick Mars and Motley Crue. Mick Mars is stepping down and retiring before the next leg of the tour. Uh, you know, like I was saying, you know, Motley Crue getting back together was nothing more than a cash grab itself. You know, they broke up. They saw how well the movie The Dirt did on Netflix. They figured, hey, why, let's go back out there and play together. We can make a fortune doing it. They put together a big lineup, but COVID kind of shut that down for over two years. And then the Pam and Tommy documentary thing came out. <laughs> Hulu, I think that generated a little bit of more interest in the band again. But they went out there and they made a shitload of money doing it. But you can see that Mick Mars just doesn't have it in him anymore physically. I mean, it doesn't affect his playing, but I know I have a bad back. And I know it's like standing up for long periods of time. So the guy must have been in excruciating pain nonstop throughout all these shows. But he kept doing it. It doesn't even count like all the traveling that goes on between, you know, between the shows. So I, I felt bad for the guy because it looks like his heart wasn't in it anymore. Uh, so he's stepping down. I'm not a big fan of John Fire. I think Motley Crue should have just wrapped it up. I mean, they did this big U.S. tour. I know they're going over to Europe now, but this isn't going to end. They're going to keep doing this year after year now, but it really should end. You know, Mick is out of the band. And to me, Mick to Motley Crue was like Clifton Metallica. He was the heart and soul of that band. It was his guitar sound that kind of defined the band and who it was. And I think it would have been smart and, and a little respectful to him to kind of just wrap it up and end it after this tour. But they're going to keep going on. So I don't know what to say. All right, let's wrap it up here tonight. I want to thank Christian. Thank you for being on tonight's show, Christian. It's always fun talking with you. Seven words out on listenable records right now. Pick up a copy of the new Zentrix record. Next week, my good friend Steve Gaines from Anger Resort and Jeff Allen from Witch Slayer. We're going to wrap it up here tonight with a cover song. Even I talk about cover bands only because it's my wife and I's 30th wedding anniversary in one more day, November 1st. Married 30 years to that beautiful woman. How she's tolerating me is beyond me. I have no clue, but... Our wedding song was uh, Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis Presley. Since we can't play Elvis on this show because it's a heavy metal show, I found the heavy metal version cover of that song by a group called Power Song. So we're going to play that right now. This is for my wife, my beautiful bride of 30 years. Take care, everybody. Have a great week, and I'll see you next Sunday.
Take advantage of Johnson & Johnson's winter wellness event and get rewarded. It pays to be prepared for the season. Get sweet deals from Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event now through December 3rd. If you purchase $15 or $25 of participating products at BJ's, you can get a $5 or $10 reward. Plus, you can even enter to win a Visa Rewards card. Purchase at BJ's, upload your receipt, and choose your reward. It pays to be prepared at BJ's. Take advantage of Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event and get rewarded. It pays to be prepared for the season. Get sweet deals from Johnson & Johnson's Winter Wellness Event now through December 3rd. If you purchase $15 or $25 of participating products at BJ's, you can get a $5 or $10 reward. Plus, you can even enter to win a Visa Rewards card. Purchase at BJ's, upload your receipt, and choose your reward. It pays to be prepared at BJ's. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.